To everybody I say this, today is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Amen, amen and amen. Let's get going today. So I got a question for you. You, among your sibling group, I'm, I'm curious, who, are, who here is the oldest of your sibling group? All right, my fellow leaders of the clan, I'm the oldest as well. All right, uh, who, who's the, the babies, the youngest? Every day was Disney World for you. <laughs> All right, okay. Any, any only, only children in here? Any only, only children? Couple, all right? Ah, uh, let's see, am I forgetting anyone? Oh, yeah. The middle children. <laughs> you're used to that, though, right? I mean, come on. Let's just, you're used to that, right? Like, this poor kid. middle children, not the leader, not the baby, often the forgotten ones. You know, sometimes I feel like when we talk about the life of Jesus and all that he did and accomplished, I often feel like the ascension of Jesus is often treated like this forgotten middle child. Like we talk about the the power and the enormity of the resurrection of Jesus and, and, and the celebration of Easter morning. And then as Christians, we, we long for and we pray for the return of Christ. We long for that day, but we forget that middle part that's so key to our faith, the ascension of Jesus. When he, after he had completed his earthly mission, did all that he said he was going to do, and he returned to heaven, that monumental moment just kind of is like, gets treated like just another Bible story. The ascension of Jesus is absolutely critical to our faith. And that's what we're going to be looking at today, how Jesus ascends. So if you have your Bibles, would you please turn to Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11, as we look at Jesus returning to heaven and what that means for us. The ascension of Jesus, my friends, is not just a theological doctrine. It was a moment in history that continued to show the world who Jesus is. And so we are going to read that story together, the story of Jesus returning to heaven as we look at what this means for us. So with your Bibles open on your lap or your app, would you please follow along as I read the word of the Lord, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11. So when they had come together, they, meaning the disciples, When they come together, they asked him, meaning Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as they were gazing into heaven, and as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said to them, Men of Galilee, 
Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray and we will continue. Let's let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we ask by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that you would please, please, Lord, would you give us the mind to understand? Would you give us the heart to believe? And would you give us the will to act upon your good plan for us as we live out in faith the gospel of the risen Jesus? And it's in his name we pray these things. And everyone said, amen and amen. So we're going to walk through our passage today verse by verse, but I could, if I could give you one overarching idea here this morning, it would be this. Jesus ascends. What does this mean for us now? Well, here's what it means. As Christ returned to heaven, we've received our mission. We, meaning those who believe in Jesus. We, meaning the church. If you are a Christian in the house, the question you should be asking right now is, am I on mission? Have I embraced the mission Jesus has given me, and am am I living that out? So let's walk through this verse by verse and see and flesh this out a little bit more. So context, Jesus has accomplished all that he said he was going to do. He's died on the cross. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he was who he said he was. And for 40 days, he continued to show people that he had risen from the dead. He continued to teach about what was one of the primary themes of his message, which was the kingdom of God. He tells his disciples, wait just a few more days, and the power of God is going to descend upon you, and you are going to be, my witnesses, you are going to be scattered throughout the world proclaiming the message. This message is meant to go everywhere. Then he says he's going to return to heaven. This is the message Jesus continued to preach for 40 days. And we come to this moment and look at how the disciples respond. Look at the first question out of their mouth. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? One of the primary messages of all of Jesus' ministry was the global initiative of the gospel. It was the kingdom of God over all of God's creation. And they want to know about their little nation. Now, I don't know about you. Has, has anyone, maybe your kids, maybe people you work with, has anyone ever caused you to do a face palm? Do you know what a face palm is? Like when someone says something just so ignorant, you're like, <sighs> and maybe when your kids really, really take it up a notch, you do this thing where you, with the one hand, not only do you do, you do a face palm, but you also rub your eyeballs, and then you mutter out something like this, like, <sighs> oh Lord. <laughs> you ever been to that moment? You know, I would think if there was ever a moment in Jesus' life, it would be in response to this question. Again, Global, historic, worldwide, for all time, for all people initiative, the the gospel of Jesus is going to go forth. He's talked about the kingdom of God, and they want to know about their little nation. 
Now, listen, now, this question isn't totally out of left field. In, in their context, in their culture, um, in, in, in Israel at this time, there was great anticipation for God's, God's anointed one to come, for the Savior to come. They were longing for that, but they had thought that God's Savior was going to come and just be the Savior to Israel. When God had a plan to send, his savior, to send the Savior for, for all souls. But they were immersed in a culture. Hear me on this, church. They were immersed in a culture that could not see past themselves. And that, my friends, is a challenge for us here in America. We are a culture who thinks that we're the kings of the world. We are a culture who can't see past ourselves. So I'm going to ask you, here, if you're joining us uh, over in the chapel online, here in the, I'm going to ask you just to like, sit back for a moment, and uh, I'm just going to preach to myself. I need to preach to Ryan for just a moment. You're welcome to take some of this home if, if, it, if it's relevant to you, but you're going to hear me kind of just speak to my own heart for a moment, okay? The point of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not to save America. It's to save souls. The, the gospel, the gospel isn't about restoring America to any sort of former glory. The gospel is about giving God the glory. Church, hear me. Like many of you, like the America that seems to be emerging around us feels very different than the America that I grew up in. And I'll be honest with you, I'm just going to put my heart out here for you. I want my kids to, to grow up in the America that I grew up in, but they're not. And so it would be very easy for me to try to take the power of the gospel and use that to create an, an America that I want for my kids. But that's not the point of the gospel. That's not the point of the gospel. The gospel is not about restoring Israel or America to anything that it previously was. Now listen to me. I do believe that the power of the gospel has the power to turn all of America back to God. But I also think that's not going to happen unless Christians return to the church. So praise be to God for you being here. But the power of the gospel is not to restore Israel or America. The power of the gospel is meant to bring us into a better future, one that's meant for all people, all tribes, all tongues, at all times, for all people across all nations. So here's the point of this verse. Our ambitions and aspirations must align with Christ's assignment, not vice versa. We can't use the gospel or the power of the gospel to bring about our hopes and dreams. The mission was given to us. And so our ambitions and our aspirations must align with Christ's assignments. And this goes for everyone, no matter what side of the aisle you find yourself. I think for those who find themselves on the right side of the aisle, this is not about fulfilling our national hopes. For those who maybe find themselves on the left side, 
This is not about fulfilling personal identity. We must align our identity and our hopes to Christ. We don't ask Christ to align to us. We don't ask Christ to fulfill our personal ambitions. We don't ask Christ to sanctify our aspirations. We align to his mission. We align to who he is. But peace be upon you, hear me on this. God's plan is better. God's plan for us, for our country, for the world, his plan is better than our plan. His plan is better than our personal ambitions and hopes. What he has in store for this world is better than my own plans. What he has is better. So back to the disciples and to their facepalm-worthy question. Jesus said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. See, they want to know about their nation. They want, about, they want to know about the nation of Israel. And Jesus does not respond with a face palm. He responds by telling them to trust in God, because that's our patient Savior. That's our loving and patient Savior. Here's what I think we need to understand from this verse. Our faith is in God's truth and also his timelines. In God's truth and his timelines. If you are a Christian, you know this, that faith is a great exercise in patience. I know we do this. I know I know to do this. And if I do it, I'm willing to bet some of us here do that. Like when we pray and we ask God for something, we're expecting God to respond immediately. And listen to me, sometimes he does, but he doesn't have to. So I think for a lot of us, we pray expecting God to fulfill these promises, but we pray wanting a response right then and there. We want, we want God to answer our prayers on a moment-to-moment basis. Hey, and I think maybe some of us even have so much faith, we're willing to wait to the end of the day. That's how strong our faith is. Lord, here's my prayer request. I'll give you to the end of the day. Some of us may even be so strong in our faith, we're willing to wait weeks, maybe even months. Some of us champions may be, even to wait, be willing to wait years. But church, hear me on this. God works not just in years. God works not just in decades. God works on a timeline of lifetimes, of generations, even millennia. A thousand, thousand years is as one day to God. So if we say a prayer and we want God to fulfill it by the end of the day, and it takes a thousand years for God to fulfill it, God's like, I did do it in a day. Because that's God's timeline, and we need to adjust to his timeline. We need to trust in him. You may have to wait a lifetime for your miracle. You may. Maybe God gives it to you in the moment, but you may have to wait a lifetime. The change that you pray for may take generations of which you may never see your prayer be answered, but that doesn't mean God won't answer it. Hollywood has trained us to believe that conflict and resolution can both happen in an hour and a half. The Bible shows us this could take generations upon generations upon generations. One of the scariest 
one of the scariest, but also one of the most beautiful things about faith is understanding that God does not operate on our timeline, and maybe we won't even see him work fully in our lifetime. Doesn't mean he's not working. I believe God is working at all times. We just may not see it. We are part of God's plan. He's at the center of it, not us. And our world wants to absolutely romanticize the idea that we are the captain of our own soul. Right? We are the determiner of our own destiny. The world wants you to believe that you are the center of your own universe. You are the center of the universe. And here's what I tell you. Do not bear that burden. You are not strong enough to bear the weight of the universe. But I know someone who is. Do not put yourself in the place where only God can be, it will break you. That's why our culture is so broken. That's why people are in such depression. We're putting ourselves in a place that only meant for God and we can't bear the weight. Let God be the center of the universe. Let God be the center of his plan. Let God get the glory. And you know what? You rest in that. You find joy in that. Find hope in that. Find release in that. And while God does fix the stars in the sky and the days according to his plan, this does not mean that you don't have an important part to play. Jesus goes on to say, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. See, Judea, or um, Jerusalem, Jerusalem was where they were, and Jerusalem was within the nation of Judea. And Samaria was like the other nation that was like the outcasts. The point here being, our mission starts where we are, and it goes through all the earth to the ends of all the earth. This is the gospel. It's not just meant for us. It's meant for everyone, everywhere, for all time. It is the thing that can unite us all. The gospel has the power to unite all of humanity. And Jesus tells us to be his, starts with a W, say it, I'll, say it, I'll say it together, his witnesses. We are called to be his witnesses. Not everyone's meant to be a pastor or a Billy Graham style evangelist, but we're all called to be witnesses. Years back, back in my youth ministry days, Back in the glory days of youth ministry, back before every kid had a cell phone and was distracted all the time, this was probably around 2008, I led a a mission trip for youth to inner city Chicago. And the place that we stayed at was in a neighborhood of Chicago where we were not allowed to go out after dark. We had to stay in at night. Well, one day we were out in the city ministering and loving on people and sharing the gospel. And we came back to our mission house that night. And for a little bit of time after dinner, but before dark, we were allowed to be outside on the street. And uh, it was after dinner one time, the sun was starting to get low. And I'm out there with a group of kids and we're just sitting there. Um, And then all of a sudden, right in front of us, right in front of the street, there was a car accident. It wasn't a terrible car accident. Like you could tell no one one got hurt. Uh, But two oddly nice vehicles were in a fender bender with some, some significant 
significant damage to each vehicle. And me and, the, me and these kids were like, whoa, we couldn't believe we witnessed this. And then the head of the mission like, comes out to us real fast. And I'll never forget what he says to us. He says, hey, unless you guys want to stay in Chicago for the rest of the summer being part of a trial because you're witnesses, I suggest you get inside right now. And I didn't want to stay in Chicago. One week was enough for me. So I, like, we're going back inside, kids. But I'll never forget that. Unless you want to stay in Chicago all summer as witnesses in a lawsuit, get inside now. If, if we did have to go to court, which we didn't, but if we did, we wouldn't have been arguing anything. We would just be explaining what we saw, what we witnessed, because that's what witnesses do. They simply give testimony to what they've seen, heard, and experienced. Witnesses are not the judge. They're not the lawyer. They're not the defendant. They are just called upon to share what they've seen, heard, and experienced. Christians in the house, that is us. We are witnesses. We are to live as witnesses as we live out this Christian life. As we share the gospel, we are simply called to be witnesses. Again, not everyone's going to be a pastor, an apologist, or an evangelist, but we are all called to be witnesses. When people talk about how terrible the church is, do you know what I say? It's not what I witnessed. When people talk about how Jesus doesn't change anyone's life, do you know what I say? It's not what I witnessed. When, 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 Christ, when people talk about how Christians don't do any good in this world, do you know what I say? It's not what I witnessed. And then do you know what I do? I, I tell them about what I have witnessed, what I have been a part of. I'm not arguing or debating. I'm simply giving testimony to what I've seen and heard. Because Christians, you are all called to be witnesses. And our testimony to which we give witness is simply what is simply our eyewitness account. Don't worry about arguing the finer points of theology. Some people are equipped to do that. Don't worry about diving into the deeper aspects of doctrine. You simply give testimony to what you've seen and heard as you walk through life as a Christian. We're going to talk about what that means, that we have the eyes to see things. But you are called to be a witness. This is what Jesus says to them right before he returns to heaven. And so here it is. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. There it is. There it is. The often forgotten aspect, like a forgotten middle child, the ascension of Jesus Christ. He has completed his life's work here on this planet, and he has now returned to heaven, from which he will come again one day. Church, the ascension of Jesus Christ is a critical aspect to our faith. He was lifted into the sky, into heaven. But let me clarify here. This cloud here that the Bible references, this wasn't just like a passing cumulus cloud, okay? In scriptures, when it talks about clouds like this, this was, this was to denote the manifestation of the glory of God. This was the cloud that brought his body from the earthly realm into the heavenly realm. It wasn't just an obstacle to keep them from seeing him continue to float indefinitely into space. This was the cloud that brought him from earth into heaven. 
Jesus did not continue to float into space. It was his body that ascended into heaven. But let's be fair, this does give us some pretty important questions, some pretty good questions. Namely, so where is Jesus now? What's he doing? And here's another question. What is Jesus now? This cloud took him from the earthly realm into the heavenly realm, and like, what, what is he now? So if you like theology, this next few moments are for you. Here is some Christology for you, the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Prior to his birth on planet Earth, Jesus Christ was God the Son, the second member of the Trinity, existing from all eternity along with God the Father and God the Spirit. And at Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation when God the Son was born as Emmanuel. If you went to Sunday school, what does that word mean? God with us. So God the Son, God from all eternity, was born on earth as Emmanuel, meaning God with us, and he was given the name Jesus. At Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation, and we forget the absolute enormity of that truth, that God took on human flesh. The second member of the Trinity became a man. But hear me, he didn't become a man just for life. He became a human for all eternity. His divinity was forever wedded to his human nature. And so when we consider the ascension of Jesus, he is now ruling and reigning at the right hand of God the Father. And Jesus to this day retains his physical human body, including his scars. Why? Because Jesus still bears the scars of his, um, for our sin, but also of his victory. You see, the reason Jesus still to this day, as our ruling and reigning king, the reason he still bears those scars is because those are not the scars of defeat. Those are the scars of victory. He has won us back from the clutches of Satan and sin. And he did that by dying on the cross. And those are not the scars of someone who is weak. They are the scars of someone who is strong. And so when someone comes to you and, and claims to be Jesus, and I believe in the next generations, we're going to see more and more of this. The first question is, let me see the scars. Let me see the scars. Because he still bears those scars for our sin and for his victory. And now, after accomplishing all that was needed for our salvation, Jesus returned to heaven. And this gives context to a powerful verse that we find in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We are to be looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It is the God-man, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully human, who now rules and reigns from heaven. And this is the same Jesus who will one day return. Here's a theology lesson. I'm sorry if that sounded like stoic and dusty for you, but for those who believe, this is our hope. This is the hope that we live with, knowing that this is the same Jesus who will return. The same Jesus who is in heaven now, who is working out the renewal of all things this is who will return to us for the final restoration. It's like that old hymn. Before the throne of God above, 
I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever, live, whoever lives and pleads for me. Do you guys know the next line? My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. And I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Meaning, nothing, no one can undo what Christ has done for you. When Christ calls you to himself, nothing can stop or get in the way of that. No one can turn you away from what Christ has done because it's not about what we've done. Grace is about what Christ has done. And the ascension of Jesus reminds us that he will return to us physically and victoriously as he brings about the final restoration of all things. Jesus still bears the scars for our sin and his victory. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. So this is clearly referring to two angels. But it seems like a normal encounter, but it was a truly spiritual one. And so church, hear me on this. Don't miss the spiritual encounters that are all around us. Have the eyes to see, even when things seem normal, that could be the spiritual at work. Even Hebrews, the, verse, the, the book we just looked at, reminds, of the, reminds us of this. One chapter later, Hebrews writes, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. You may encounter the spiritual and not even know it. So have the eyes to see. Don't be caught stargazing when the spiritual is all around you. Church, we need to have the eyes to see the spiritual that is happening because it's happening and I believe as we get closer to the end it will only increase to happen. The culture battles that we have do not think those are not spiritual battles. It was right there, right in front of them and listen to what the angel said. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will in the same way as you saw him go into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It's like they were saying, don't worry, fellas, he'll be back. Same way he went, same way he's coming back, riding on a cloud of glory as he physically returns. This was the angel's loving reminder that now is not the time to gaze in the stars. Now is the time to get to work. Church, that us. That's us. Now is not the time to be wasting around, looking into the stars. Now is the time to get to work. Last week, we looked at how Jesus was alive. Today, we're looking at how Jesus ascended. Next week, we're going to see what happens when the Holy Spirit arrives. Because remember our main point today. As Christ returned to heaven, we've received our mission. So church, are you on mission? Church, are you? When was the last time you gave witness to what you've seen Jesus do in this world? Are you on mission? So in light of this, let me give you one question before we close up. Where is your focus? What do you focus on? What's the most important thing in your life that you're giving your time and attention, talent and money to? What is your focus? The angels asked, right? You should underline this in your Bibles. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? 
In a sense, yes, we do, wait, uh, we do wait and watch for the return of Christ. Yeah, that's a good thing to do. But looking to the skies for Christ's return doesn't mean we sit on our hands while we do it. We're not meant to lose the focus of the task at hand. I want to share with you a modern-day proverb. Some, some of you, you may roll your eyes because it feels kind of cliche-like, but I think it's one we need to be reminded of. So tell me if you've heard this modern-day Proverb, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Here's another one. If the devil can't deceive you, he'll distract you. Cell phones, social media. Sorry about that. I had to clear my throat there. Peace, church, family, and friends, where is your focus? What do you stand for? looking at? Where do you stand looking into and does it distract you? Does it cause you to lose your focus or have you already lost your focus? Don't be caught looking into the sky when the spiritual is all around us. Don't be distracted when the task of the mission is at hand for all of us. We are to be Christ's witnesses at all times, ready to give an account for what Christ is doing in this world. And you may be like, well, hold on a second here, pastor. Wait, 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 wait. I was here last week, and this sounds a lot like the spiel you gave to us last week about sharing your testimony. Fair enough. But did you do it? Thank you. I will keep saying it until we start doing it. We are to be out there in the world sharing our testimony. I've said this before. I'll continue to say it. The world just doesn't believe us. They don't believe that we believe this because we're not out there like sharing our testimony, giving witness to what we've seen and heard. Because we're too busy being distracted. And we are to be witnesses on mission all the time. Don't lose your focus. What do you stand, stand there looking at? When the task is before us, we are to live as people who live in light of the resurrection. Can you look at your life and say that you live in the light of the resurrection? One of the ways you can say yes to that is if you are sharing and shining that light, that that light guides your motives and your actions. When your kids misbehave, when you fight with your spouse, when you have a bad day at work, when these things happen, what does your reaction tell you about your focus? That you are living in the light of the resurrection or that you are just distracted by the moment? Where is your focus? Listen to me. I know this is hard. This is why we need the light of the resurrection to shine on us. This is why we need the strength of the gospel inside of us. This is why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus knows we can't do this without him. And we're going to look at next week what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. And we also need the truth of God's word to ground us in this world. Simply put, we need spiritual nourishment in our lives to keep us focused. And communion is one of the ways that we get that spiritual nourishment as we remember what Christ has done for us and we partake in that, which we're going to do here and now. So church, would you bow your heads? Let's prepare our hearts for communion. Father in heaven, we ask here and now by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit that you would help us prepare our hearts together as your church, as we partake in the Lord's Supper, something that your Son and our risen Savior has told us to do in remembrance of him. And it's in his name that we pray these things. And everyone said, 
Amen. Amen.